So I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. And today we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15. The title of this message is The Sufficiency and Sovereignty of Christ. I want to begin reading actually in verse 6, but our exposition will begin in verse 9. But beginning in verse 6, the Word of God reads, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive with philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him, in Christ, you have been made complete. And He, Christ, is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him, in Christ, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him, with Christ, in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him, Christ, through faith in the working of God, who raised Him, that's Christ, from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities, He made a public display. I love the King James. made a public spectacle of Him, of them, having triumphed over them through Him referring to Christ. I want to begin by asking you the two most important questions I could possibly ask you this morning. Who is Jesus Christ, and do you know Him? Upon these two questions hangs your eternal destiny. You cannot be wrong about these two questions and be right with God. There is no middle ground. Either you know who Jesus is, or you do not know who Jesus is. And either you know Him personally, or you do not know Him personally. But upon these two questions hangs everything. Salvation, forgiveness, acceptance with God, eternal life, abundant life, heaven or hell. Not a one of us here today can afford to be wrong about who is Jesus Christ. 
And none of us can be disconnected from Him. This is because the very heart and heartbeat of Christianity is Christ. To be a Christian is to know Christ. To be a Christian is to follow Christ. It is to love Christ. It is to adore Christ. The sum and the substance of Christianity is Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, and every letter in between. It is absolutely critical that we know who Jesus Christ is. Many people today, though, have a view of a lesser Christ, a Christ of their own imagination. They have believed in a lesser Jesus who is good, but not God, who is godly, but not God. But trusting another Jesus is like a drowned, a dying man taking the wrong prescription. It will only hasten his death. Trusting a lesser Jesus is like a drowning man grabbing the wrong rope. It will not save him, but only submerge him. Trusting a lesser Jesus is like a snake-bit man taking the wrong antidote. It will not heal him, it will only spread the venom. Trusting a lesser Jesus is like a lost traveler turning onto a washed-out bridge. It will not take him to the other side. None of us here today can afford to be wrong about Jesus Christ. We need the truth about Jesus. We need clarity about Jesus. We need accuracy about Jesus because our eternal destiny hangs upon knowing the true Jesus. This is specifically what Paul is addressing in these verses. And what I have just said is no hyperbole. It's not an overstatement of a lesser truth. We must be right about Jesus. So I want us to note five truths about who Jesus is from these verses. And the first is, I want you to note at the beginning of verse 9, the full deity of Christ. Paul begins with the strongest statement possible as he asserts and affirms the full deity of Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 9, in Him. Who is the Him? Well, the antecedent is at the end of the previous verse. Christ. He was mentioned earlier in verse 6, which I read, Christ Jesus the Lord. He was mentioned earlier at the end of verse 2, Christ Himself. In Him is a reference to Christ. Note this, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ. All, not some deity, not much deity, but all deity, and not just all deity, all the fullness of deity. 
is in Christ. Jesus is not merely God-like. Jesus is fully God, fully possessing all of the divine nature. He possesses all the deity that God the Father possesses. He possesses all the deity that God the Spirit possesses. Jesus possesses all the divine attributes and the divine nature of God. He is as holy as the Father is holy. He is as self-sufficient as the Father. Jesus has all righteousness and all sovereignty and all omnipotence and all omniscience, all wisdom, all truth, all grace, all love, all mercy, all compassion, all wrath. It is all in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like it is in God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. The rest of the Bible affirms the full deity of Christ. Matthew 1, 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, verse 18, Jesus is the only begotten God. John 20, verse 28, when Thomas saw him in the upper room, he fell down and said, my Lord and my my God. Philippians 2, verse 6, he existed in the form of God and possessed equality with God. Titus 2, verse 13, he is referred to as our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of his glory, the Father's glory, listen to this, and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is not the junior member of the Trinity. He possesses all of the divine nature. And in Hebrews 1, verse 8, God the Father addresses God the Son, and God the Father says, your throne, O God, is forever. It is the Father who addresses the Son as God. God the Father addresses God the Son as God. Another way to affirm the full deity of Christ is to prove it this way. Jesus performed the works that only God can perform. Jesus created everything out of nothing. Jesus sustains the entire universe, every moment of every day. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus will judge all mankind. He does what only God can do. Further, He receives the worship that is to be directed to God alone. He is worshiped by the angels. He is worshiped by the church. He is worshiped by by men. 
And the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, kurios, which is a title for deity, that even the devil and fallen angels and lost, unconverted sinners, every knee will bow and declare the full deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus possesses the attributes that only God possesses. As I've already mentioned, holiness, sovereignty, omnipotence, etc. And he is called the names that only God is called. Jesus is called Lord. He's called King of Kings. He's called Lord of Lords. He is called I Am. He is called God. This truth of the full deity of Christ is the point of departure for every cult and every false religion. In Matthew 16, verse 3, Jesus asked His disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you are Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. Others say, one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked the question that I have asked you. Jesus then said, who do you say that I am? And for once, Peter nailed it. He usually needs an afterfoot meant. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God in human flesh. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven and upon this rock, the, te- the confession of the deity of Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So this is where Paul begins in this section of Colossians, addressing who is Jesus. Number one, the full deity of Christ. And I trust that the Father in heaven has revealed this to you as well through pages of Scripture. I trust that there is, is no compromise and no capitulation with any heart, within any heart here today that you are sold on and sold out on the deity of Jesus Christ. If not, go join a cult down the street. Now, second, not only the full deity of Christ, but now the full humanity of Christ. Because as verse 9 continues, he says, for For in Him all the fullness of deity, now watch this, dwells in bodily form. Eternal deity was joined to sinless humanity, making Jesus the only God-man, the God-man. Truly God, truly man, perfectly God, perfectly man, fully God, fully man. 
this deity, the full deity of Christ dwells in bodily form. This is an allusion to the Old Testament teaching of how God dwelt in the temple. The Shekinah glory of God came and and hovered in the temple. God moved in to the house of worship like a thick cloud of glory. But here, God dwells not in a building, but in a body. Dwells in bodily form. John 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He gave up none of His deity. He maintained all of His deity. It is now sinless humanity joined with eternal deity. You'll also note dwells as in the present tense. He now, even this moment, resides in this body that God has made for him. And now he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high in a resurrected, glorified body. He is confined to one body. The Spirit is everywhere, and God the Father who is a Spirit is everywhere, but Jesus now is in a corporal body. He cannot be in the, the, in the mass. He cannot be in the communion bread. He cannot be in the, the cup. He can only be in one place in the universe, and that is at the right hand of God the Father. Dwells in bodily form. This was a shock for many in Corinth to hear because they were under the deluge of the influence of Greek thought and and Gnosticism and this dualism which made a separation from matter, physical matter, and invisible spiritual world. And they said everything that is physical is evil. And everything that is spiritual is good. And now Paul is writing, and this is a a strong message for them to hear, that eternal deity is now dwelling in a physical human body. Hebrews 10 verse 5 Jesus, quoting the psalmist, a body you have prepared for me. While on the earth, the real Jesus had a human body and continues in this human body. He was born of a woman, Galatians 4. He was subjected to growth, physical growth, mental growth emotional growth, Luke 2. He was visibly seen and physically handled, 1 John 1. He hungered, Matthew 4. He thirsted, John 19. He grew tired, John 4. He wept, John 6. He walked, Matthew 14. He slept, Matthew 8. He died, John 19. He possessed a human brain, with human blood, 
and a human soul and a human spirit and a human will. As much of a human as you are a human, yet without sin, while remaining and possessing the divine nature and the divine attributes. He came down and entered the human race. He got into our skin. He walked our walk. He was faced with every temptation that you and I are confronted with. He was met with every pressure and every trial and every tribulation, and it was real. He suffered real human rejection. He suffered bitter disappointment. He suffered betrayal. And because of this, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that now as he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, he is a sympathetic high priest. When we come to him in prayer, as we come to the Father through the Son, we know that Jesus knows what we face, not just cognitively and intellectually, but experientially. He was met with it all here, yet without sin. Jesus understands. He understands you. He knows you. He's been where you are. He has felt what you feel. Not from another galaxy away in heaven. It was boots on the ground, sandals on the ground. He lived at ground zero, right where you live. He has drawn near to us. The third thing that we see is not only the full deity of Christ and the full humanity of Christ, but the full sufficiency of Christ. In verse 10, in Him, Him obviously is Christ, in Him you have been made complete. The word complete here means to be filled to the full so that there is no room left for anything else to be added. To be filled to the top so that nothing is lacking, you've been made complete. You've been given everything that you need. Nothing has been withheld from you in your Christian life. You have been made complete 
Verb tense points back to past action with continuing results in in the present. It points back to the time of your conversion. It points back to the time of of your regeneration. When when you were birthed into the kingdom of, of God, at that moment, you were made complete because Christ moved into your life. And Christ is everything. And Christ has everything. And His holiness became your holiness, and His righteousness became your righteousness. And suddenly now, you, were, you found acceptance with holy God and were presented faultless before the throne of God. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But not just positionally made complete, but practically made complete. As you walk your Christian life, His power, now your power, His joy, your joy, His peace, your peace, His wisdom, your wisdom, His mindset, your mindset, it's all been turned over to you and deposited in you when Jesus Christ moved into your life. There's nothing lacking in you. You don't need more of God. God needs more of you. You do not need to speak in tongues. You do not need to be slain in the Spirit. You do not need to be visited by an angel. You do not need some private word from God. You do not need dreams. You do not need visions. You don't need any of that stuff. Because you got it all when you received Christ. Nothing was lacking in that deposit of the fullness of deity into your life. Christ is everything, and you have Christ, so you have everything you need. You just need to grow and learn and trust and obey in what has already been given to you. We have our Doctor of Ministry students here in this service. When I studied in my doctor of ministry, I, I studied under R.C. Sproul, privilege of privileges. And I would drive from Little Rock, Arkansas down to Jackson, Mississippi, and I would have to go through southeast Arkansas, which is like venturing off into another planet. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. It's just rice paddies where the Mississippi River used to flow until an earthquake shifted it in another direction. And, and every once in a while, you'll just come to a little town with a little bump in the road. And I remember I would always drive through there. And there was this one general store, just supplied everything for the little city. It had two signs. One sign said, if you can't 
stop, honk. Okay. So I would always honk as I would go by. The other sign, though, was the classic. If we don't have it, you don't need it. (laughs) If we don't have it, you don't need it. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, if Jesus doesn't have it, you don't need it. You don't need to look anyplace else. You don't need to get in your car and go down the road and go to some other place. You got it all when you got Jesus. There's nothing lacking in him, therefore there is nothing lacking in you. You have been made complete. That's what the text says. In him, you have been made complete. You have been filled up with the fullness of Christ to the very top such that there's no room for anything else to be put into you that you need for salvation or for sanctification. Now, we continue. Fourth, not only the full sufficiency of Christ, but the full sovereignty of Christ. That just keeps getting better. And we read in the middle of of verse 10... And, and that word and is important. It's not or, it's and. This is all a package deal about Christ. This isn't a multiple choice, and some of us get to have Him as full deity, and others of us get to have Him as full sufficiency. No, the word and just is like boxcars all pulled together on one train. And He, Christ, is present tense, the head over all rule and authority. Right now, present tense is. We're not waiting for the second coming of Christ for Jesus to become the head of all that there is. Right now, this moment, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, Matthew 28, verse 18. He is the head. Head here is a metaphor for authority over all others, just as your head provides the direction for the rest of your body and your head sits on top of the rest of your body. So Christ is the head of the entire universe. He sits at the head of the organizational chart of the entire universe, and under him are thrones and powers and dominions and elect angels and fallen angels and Satan and mankind and the elect and non-elect and providence and the world affairs and kings and judges and, and, and all that there is. It's all under the head. And no one knows the Father except the Son reveals the Father, except the Son reveals the Father to them. He is is the head executor of the universe. He is the chief administrator of the entire universe. He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He began to build His church. 
Acts 2, 47 says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. He brought Saul of Tarsus down and converted him. He opened Lydia's heart, and she received the gospel that Paul preached to her. He's at the right hand of the Father, mediating our prayers. Oh, He's the head. No one above Him. It says, over all rule and authority, it's a reference to the strata of angelic beings. And the Colossian community had become obsessed with mysticism, and they were into worshiping angels. And Paul's point here is, you need to worship the one who is the head over the angels. You need to worship the one who the angels worship. He's the head over all rule and authority. He is so sovereign. Then in Revelation 19, when a door is opened in heaven and a white horse comes galloping out of the chutes of heaven, and the one who sits upon that white horse is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the judge of judges. And upon his head are many diadems. You and I will have a Stephanos, a lesser crown given to us for being an obedient servant one day. But Christ doesn't have a Stephanos. He has a diadem which only sits on the head of the king. But he doesn't just have a diadem. He has many diadems. And the diadem is, indicates his sovereignty, his absolute sovereignty, his unrivaled sovereignty. But he has many diadems. It's, it's infinite sovereignty. It's unlimited sovereignty. It's unrestricted sovereignty. And then in verse 12, it says, He has a name written on Him which no one knows except Himself, meaning His sovereignty is beyond our wildest thoughts. It is an incomprehensible sovereignty. We can't even grasp how sovereign He is. As R.C. Sproul says, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. They're just all lining up under His will and doing His bidding. how we must yield our lives to Him and follow Him. The last thing I want you to see is the sole exclusivity of Christ. In verse 11... Because of who Jesus is, what we have just discussed, 
in verses 9 and 10, therefore, there is salvation, as Acts 4.12 says, in no other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the one and only Savior of sinners in the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. Verse 11, and in Him, we know who the Him is, and someone has well said the whole Bible is a hymn book. It's all about Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in Him, you, believers, were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. You may not know it, you've been circumcised. Ladies, even you have been circumcised. Circumcision in the Old Testament was required to be administered on the eighth day to a Jewish boy, and it signified it was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. But even more than that, it was, a, it was an indication, it, it pictured really of man's need for a clean heart. That there, as circumcision is a cutting of the foreskin of the male organ, regeneration is the cutting of the heart to the bone, such that that heart now is set apart away from a life pursuit of sin and now is set apart unto God. It is the most dramatic change and transformation that could take place in anyone's life, and arguably it was a greater change that took place in your life when you were spiritually circumcised than will take place the day that you die and enter into heaven. To go from earth to heaven as a Christian, you just go from glory to glory. But when you were spiritually circumcised, you went from the grave to life. You went from darkness to light. And here he says, Paul writes, you've been circumcised. You've already been circumcised. Why would he say this? Because these the, these false teachers, these Gnostics, were coming in and trying to put the believers and even unbelievers back under the Old Testament law with legalism and telling them, you've got to be physically circumcised to get through into heaven, and you've got to be physically circumcised in order to get to the next level of spiritual growth. And if you're not circumcised, you're lost, and if you're not circumcised, you're you're backsliding. That's what they were saying. Paul writes, you can see it in your own Bible, verse 11. You've already been circumcised with the real circumcision, not with the sign, but with the substance. When your heart was filleted and cut by the sharp two-edged sword of the Word of God, administered by the Spirit of God, And it was so deep and so penetrating, it says, in the removal of the body of the flesh, it it just wielded a death blow to your old sinful flesh, your old sin nature. It doesn't mean that you no longer 
that you never sin anymore, but it no longer is the dominant impulse in your life. It is no longer driving the show in your life. And so who performed this circumcision? He says in verse 11, by the circumcision of Christ. It was the invisible hands of Christ working by His Spirit. And Philippians 3 verse 3 says, you are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God. That's what it is to be born again. That's what, it's to suffer a heart wound and for your heart to be circumcised. It's not just like walking an aisle and raising a hand and parroting a prayer. It's for the divine butcher to wield the sword of the Spirit and cut deep and bring deep conviction of sin. Verse 12, not only were you circumcised, having been buried with Him, Christ, buried with Christ. Why does, like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, say that the gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead? Why the emphasis on the burial? It was to signify that Jesus did not just merely go unconscious upon the cross, and He did not merely swoon into a sleeping state, but that He actually died. He was buried. And so why the emphasis here that we have been buried with Christ? It is to show that in our circumcision of the heart, our old life was buried. It's dead and over. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Your old man and your old life are ancient history. You've been buried. It wasn't just an emotional experience you went through. It was the real thing that happened to you. And then he says in verse 12, being buried with him in baptism. This is not referring to water baptism. There's not a drop of water in verse 12. This is spirit baptism. It is only the Spirit of God that can place you into Jesus Christ, into union with Christ, into communion with Christ. And that happened at the moment of your new birth, and you were buried with Him in the baptism of the Holy Spirit who placed you in Christ such that When Christ died, you died to your old way of life. When He was buried, your old way of living was buried. And when He was raised from the dead, you were raised with Him now to live an entirely new life headed in a new direction on a new path 
buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him. The whole thing is Christ. I mean, what more could we want? What more could we need? We've been crucified with Christ. We've been buried with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. Other passages, we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. Verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions, that's your old way of life before you were circumcised. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, there He says it right there, verse 13. You weren't just sick, you weren't just not feeling well spiritually, you were dead as a doornail. You had no life in you. You had an existence. You just had no life. You were a spiritual zombie. He, verse 13, God the Father made you alive together with Him, God the Son. When Jesus was made alive, you were made alive. The end of verse 13, having forgiven us all our transgressions. You know, everyone in this building has a massive sin problem. You have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. There are so many sins that you personally, individually have committed over the entirety of your life. You would be ashamed for anyone in this building to see that list. You would be ashamed. You would just wait for everyone else to leave, and you just would walk out by yourself if that was posted up here on a screen. And what this says is that through the work of Christ upon the cross, you have been forgiven. This says all our transgressions. In essence, the delete button has been pushed. And the list of sins have been sent into oblivion. In reality, they were transferred to Christ. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the great exchange of the cross. All my sins transferred to Christ, his righteousness transferred to me. The worst about me dumped on him, the best about him clothing me. Now, He has forgiven us all our sins. And verse 14 says, having canceled out the certificate of debt. What is this certificate of debt? That's God's record of every sin you have ever committed. I mean, we can go back to elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, 
military, single life, married life, everything you've ever done that you should not have done, everything that you did but should not have done, everything you did that you should have done but you had the wrong motive and the wrong attitude, everything that you did that you should have done but you procrastinated, to him who knows to do right and does it not, it is sin. My record would reach from here to the stars. And Christ has canceled out the certificate of debt. He just paid it off. It says, consisting of decrees, which is a word meaning a, a, a legal statement of the, the sentence that is to be brought to bear upon us, the guilt, the punishment for the guilt of our sins. And they're all the charges against us and the corresponding punishment that would come with that. And it says they were hostile to us. Into verse 14, he has taken it out of the way. The he there refers to God the Father. God the Father took all of your sins and nailed it to the cross. As Jesus hung upon that cross and he bore your sins in his body upon the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24, God the Father nailed that certificate of debt containing all of your sins. He just nailed it to the cross and as Jesus was shedding his blood upon that cross, it just washed away all of our sins. It's, this, is, this, this is beyond amazing. I don't even have time to do verse 15. I don't think I need to do verse 15. Tom just told me I could do verse 15. <laughs> Dr. MacArthur only watches the second service. <laughs> so I'm kind of a liberated man up here today. <laughs> it's just between us here. Okay, verse 15. <laughs> more is more, okay? Verse 15, when he, God the Father, had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he, God the Father, made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, God the Son. It, it, the Father stripped, he shamed, and he subdued the devil in all the forces of darkness. And Jesus said in John 12, before he went to the cross, now the God of this world is cast down. 
Now, he is still performing his deeds of darkness and prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but he has been defeated at the cross through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father has taken the victory of that death upon the cross and has brought down the kingdoms of darkness. It's all because of Christ. It was the Father's plan. It was the Son's provision. And it was the Spirit's power that brought it all together. So I began this message by asking you two questions. You remember? The two most important questions anyone could ever possibly ask you in your life. Who is Jesus Christ? And do you know Him? Your eternal destiny hinges on you getting those two right. And if you get those two right... You will be with the Father forever in heaven. And if you get those two wrong, you will be with the Son in hell, and He will be inflicting the wrath upon you. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father You've heard the truth today. You should know who He is. But do you know Him personally in your heart? You can be in church and not be in Christ. You can know the preacher but not know the Savior. Do you know Jesus Christ? I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And if you need to know Christ, if you need to talk to someone, To my right, to your left, through those double doors, is a prayer room. And there are some godly people, loving people, who know Scripture, who would love to talk to you about the most important issue in your life. And after I close in prayer, if you would like to talk to someone very privately, then I would urge you to do so today. Father in heaven, you've given us everything in Christ. Nothing is lacking in us who are in Christ. Help us now to grow and develop, mature, obey, follow, trust, pray, Help us with this, to assimilate all these riches in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.